Hi everyone, welcome back to the second half of episode 8 of Lit Tea with me, your host, Sabrina Lotfi, and my very special guest, Dahlia Adler. If you missed the first half of our interview and you'd love to learn more about Dahlia and hear all her genius querying advice, go check that out first. Otherwise, play on. This is a little bit different. You are great with like swag <laughs> and like giveaways and oh, stuff. Do you. you have any tips for people? Oh, I don't feel like I am at all. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, my number one tip is always keep your swag flat. Ooh, yeah. I'm going to give my usual disclaimer. Like going back to the whole swag thing is like a, a greater thing. And sorry, because I'm totally taking this out of fun zone and I'm back into serious publishing zone. <laughs> But a big thing that's really hard to tell from the outside is what authors are doing for themselves what p- versus what publishers are doing for authors. You mm. think you will always know. You do not. There are authors who have done bonkers campaigns for themselves. Um, like truly, truly, you know, whatever their motivation is, clearly they're, you know, financially can handle it, whatever it is. But like, also, a lot of those are done by publishers, and they might look exactly the same. And so they're footing the bill for shipping oh, okay. or for creating items. So I always say this about enamel pins that I think they got really big with Julie Murphy's Dumplin'. They were awesome. They were adorable. They were also publisher financed. But then suddenly they became the thing every author felt like they need to have. They cost more to make and ship than the purchase of the book will bring in. And they're not flat. Because they're not flat. Um So, you know, my advice is, A, never spend more on your swag per book than the sale of that book will bring in. Okay. um, Which is, you know, math you can do with your contract information. Um, So keep it flat. And there are a lot of options in flat. There are bookmarks. There are book plates. There are character cards. There are art prints. There are tattoos. There are stickers. There's so much you can do with flat. Be creative, whatever. But if you see somebody who's selling like a thing that's either publishing or they have money to burn and if that's not you do not try to make it you great advice like flat is great i do my publisher for quill for the summer did a book plate on a sticker sheet um then for home field advantage i did my own i had an art print commissioned and my own book plates commissioned and like that's it a bunch of people got it for going by coastal i'm hoping to do character cards because i think it really lends itself to it and i think they'll be really fun i have to actually find somebody to commission for them um but like that's it i i like them max out at two to three items i think book plates are the best especially if you're just not somebody who's going to be able to do a lot of signings um and then another thing that i would advise if you can is partnering with an indie bookstore to do it because first of all you drive business to that indie second of all you just give them the stuff once and then they send it out with each purchase of the book. So rather than you shipping book plates to 50 people who pre-order your book, they include it with the book. You've now saved time and postage on 50 bucks while sending people to an indie bookstore. Um, so that I think is a really, really good way to do it if you can. Um, and if you don't have that relationship, then ask your publisher to do it. That is a perfectly fine thing to ask your publisher to do to seek out an indie bookstore or two or five to partner with um, on a pre-order campaign. Great advice. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> where do you, when you do your orders yourself, like book plates and stuff, where do you go? What do you, what company do you use? So I've had lately Erin Bowman, who's also an author, has done my designs. So she designs my book plates. She designed my bookmarks. Oh, cool. Um, my older ones were done by Maggie Hall, who doesn't really design anymore, but is wonderful. And then I think Got Print or Vista Print. I think I usually use Got Print 
um, for actually making them. Okay. For book plates, you're not looking for something called book plates. You're looking for stickers. You want three by four stickers. Usually, I mean, some people do smaller. Okay. Um, I like getting three by four stickers. And then you just design it. Yeah. So I, I commission people to design because I have no artistic skills. So thank you, Aaron Bowman. Um, yeah. So if you're ordering book plates, you're ordering matte stickers. Okay. Very important. <laughs> Good distinction. I know because, yeah, I would be yeah. like, I want to order a book plate on Google. And Google would be like, you want to do a what now? <laughs> a book plate that you like, if you look it up that way, you're going to be spending a lot more. <laughs> Book plate is a very different thing. Oh my gosh. Okay, yeah, don't do that. You want no. stickers. And pay attention to the matte versus glossy. Like, I do get glossy bookmarks, but then, like, they really need to be signed with a Sharpie. Or, you know, something like that. Okay. People, and I like, I like bookmarks because I can sign those too. So, and they're good. I would also, if you have multiple books, it's, once you have a bunch that makes sense together, like, just put those all on one thing. Okay. So now I have, I made his hideous heart bookmarks. But I didn't do it for That Way Madness Lies. And now, come at midnight, I have bookmarks that have all three anthologies on them. So my name on one side, you know, and a tagline. And then the other side has all three books. And I've, I've always liked the multi-book that's bookmarks. Smart. Do not make new swag for every single book. Yeah, no, that's super smart. I, I mean, do it if you want to. Sure. It is not my advice to make <laughs> new swag for every single book, especially if you are on a budget. On a budget and have multiple projects out there. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to give us some advice on some of the like more common like writing issues that come up and maybe like how to recognize those things and improve them the best you can? <laughs> so I just started as an editor at a company where I'm, I'm editing interactive fiction and visual novels. And so my brain is very set in how to do that, which is very different from prose novels. So the writing advice I've been giving lately is very inapplicable. Oh my gosh. <laughs> to actual novel writing. Um... I, man, I don't. <laughs> I wrote some like more broad like areas if you want me to spit some at you. Sure. Let's do it that way. Okay. So like one thing I noticed, um, I mean, I've read like pretty much everything you've written and you're oh, so good you. at voice. Thank you. So do you have any tips on like getting the voice as strong as you can? Like if you're having a hard time with that, if people are like, oh, this character's kind of flat or whatever. Like, how do you? I personally, I just like write like I talk, which is also why a lot of my characters sound like me. Okay. Um, but but what some people advise that I think is really good advice <laughs> um, is to sort of pose other questions to your character. What, what it is, is for me, is I think of my characters as people, which I know sounds like, duh, but like, <laughs> no, actually. Where like you envision their lives off the page. Where are they going to be five years from now? How would they react to this scenario? What's their relationship? What... What are things that happened in their lives before we ever met them on the page? What are their relationships like with the different people in their life? Um, what does, how does where they live affect how they would approach this? What does, um, you know, and all those different things. So if it helps to ask yourself, you know, to make up little scenarios about your characters, even play, some people play them out in The Sims. Oh, that's cute. To like really, really get to, you know, see and spend some time with their characters. Um, I think that helps a lot. Like you, you really have to view, like... Look, it can it can bite you. There are, I think, a lot of people reading characters these days as characters and not as people. So, like, they'll pick out something, you know, problematic your character has said. And to me, it's like, yeah, at this point in her journey, that's how she would talk. By the end of the book, it is no longer how she would talk. Yeah. But I am not making her perfect from page one because this is a character arc and she has a journey. Um... And people just do not 
read that. Like, there's no, there's no grace given to the authors, but there's also no grace given to the characters. And that is honestly making a lot of books flat for me these days. Um. I think arcs are probably, character arcs are probably one of the most important, like, underlying things of a story overall for me is, like, the growth. Yeah. So, same, and I think they are deeply suffering by people preempting criticism with their characters. And so all the time I'll read it and I'll be like, I know exactly which Twitter thread you're like responding to by having your author say this or like this reads like Tumblr circa 2018 or like, and I just, it's, it's, that's the thing I hate most in writing right now, honestly, in like YA books right now is I see people responding preemptively to criticism on the page or, you know, cutting it off at the pass on the page instead of giving their characters realistic arcs. Mm -hmm. And I truly cannot stand that. Um, And part of that is me being terminally online. Like, so, you know, I I am aware what conversation sparked your need to write this situation like this. Yeah. Um, And other people are not necessarily going to pick it out like that. But frankly, that's the number one thing plaguing writing right now to me. Um. And so that will make for an unnatural voice. It's really hard to write when you have all these other voices in your head. And I think that used to be something that sort of affected authors more from book two on because you heard your own reviews and what people were expecting of you based on your first book and what people hated about your first book. And you heard all those things. And now I think every author feels pre-reviewed by all that commentary flying online. And so you don't even get your first book to be outside voice free. And I think that's a really hard thing about writing right now and it's making really unnatural literature right now. Um, And it's hard for me to tell you fix that because that means I do it at the cost of living with people criticizing who I am as a human for the way that I have written characters. And so, um, you know, that doesn't feel good. No, (laughs) I can't tell you enter a situation that does not feel good, but there has got to be some, I mean, how would your character genuinely be? And if you're not comfortable with how your character would genuinely be, then maybe that's not the right character for you to be writing at this point in time. That's a good point. Um, But to polish up your character for the internet is like, just don't write it then. Just please, please stop doing that. Um, And that's, that's, that's how I feel about that. This podcast is going to make me a lot of friends. I can tell already. (laughs) No, I bet it's going to, Hey, you're real. I love, I love how real you are and how honest you are with people. I think it's amazing. That's why I asked you to be on this with me. So why? Thank you. You also, you're so good at dialogue. What about for people who have an issue with dialogue? It's the same kinds of thing. Like, how do you talk? Not how do you write, but how do you talk? Mm -hmm. And so if you find that hard to translate to the page, open up, you know, a voice memo or whatever on your phone and like write your scene that way. Do it like you're talking and then transcribe it and you can polish it a little. Obviously, you're not going to have 50 ums in your sentence like I would absolutely have if I were talking out loud. Same. Um, but I think that that can be a really helpful way to hear how it's coming out. And on the flip side, if you're worried that your dialogue is coming off stilted and inauthentic, record it. Read it out loud like what you've already written. Does it sound stilted when you say it out loud? Would you never talk that way? Would your character never talk that way? Then the way you're writing is not going to come off authentic either. Um, and I write, you know, my style is much, I, I have no literary skill. Like there are certainly reasons to not write like you talk and authors who've made beautiful books out of that. So this is if you are attempting to write characters who, who talk like um, real people then yeah, I would suggest actually vocalizing your dialogue 
um, and see how that comes out. I also watch a lot of um, media that is the kind of thing I write. So if you're writing teenagers, but you're never watching like good teen TV, you're not gonna, you know, you're not gonna hear so much of it. And especially if you're not surrounded by teens, like if you're, if you're not around the demographic that you're writing, then, you know, watch them participating something in videos online, just find ways to engage with your target audience, even if it's from a distance, even if it's not interactive, but don't like guess. Yes, that's really good advice. I mean, I have a teen niece and nephew who both live in my neighborhood. So I, you know, actually see teens all the time, which is helpful. And I know not everyone has that. But like, they're around in various areas. And you know, one thing is we can access pretty much everything. That sounds so creepy. I just mean like, (laughs) like, for example, when I've written sports romance, like one thing I do is I will watch actual like, you know, coverage of high school sports games or college sports games or whatever and see what it's like. Um, that's the kind of thing. And I, and like not any teen TV show is going to work well as research. Like make sure it is actually regarded as an authentic experience. Like, you know, for what you're writing, Gossip Girl was not going to teach you how to write, you know, teens in the Florida panhandle, much as I love Gossip Girl. (laughs) Gossip Girl will teach you how to write teens growing up (laughs) who went to high school on the Upper East Side like I did. Yeah. So, you know, there's that. Yeah. Okay. One thing that you mentioned in another interview was that kind of poop period where you like know what comes next in your novel and like you know everything but you just don't want to write it and like you just don't want to sit down and do it do you have any advice for people for working through that or do you just say like embrace the lazy and like don't work on it right now like what's your I do a lot of don't work on it right now I don't want (laughs) to write when I absolutely do not want to do it and I'll find other times it kind of comes to me you have to figure out what puts you in the mood a lot of times that's going to be music Um, which is why I like heavily advocate for making a playlist for each book, because I have found, you know, sometimes if I really associate this song with this book, then like, as soon as I hear it, I can get in the mode of writing that book. But yeah, like what, what does trigger you to write when you are in that mode? Like I find if I take a shower, I can often figure out a plot point that had been bugging me. Um, And if that's you get a shower notepad. I I wrote a bunch of, um, you know, I I definitely (laughs) used that for um, two of my new adult books that were taking a really long time. (laughs) And that was really helpful. If nothing's working, yeah, and you're not on deadline, take a break. The thing is, eventually you will be on deadline, you will be stuck and you will have to do it anyway. I, you know, after my full work day and parenting, I then had to go right to writing every single night to do going by coastal. Um, I was certainly not always in the mood. Some nights I was like, this just is not going to happen. And some nights I was like, doesn't matter. Open your laptop, sit there and figure it out. And just do something. (laughs) Yeah. And that's a fun book. That was not, you know, tons of research. That was not angsty. That was not, oh, I'm pulling from the depths of my soul. That book is just fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and still there's some nights you're like, I just can't do it. I can't be in somebody else's head right now. I can't use my brain right now. Look at more words and yeah. Yeah. You're not, you're not going to make a satisfactory career for yourself out of like beating your up for beating yourself up for not writing every night. Like write every day is stupid. <laughs> Frankly, I think, <laughs> um, I mean, sometimes I have to do it cause I'm on deadline, but this like, you're not a real writer unless you like put pen to paper or finger to keystroke or whatever for at least 50 words a day is like, no, just know yourself. Yeah. Give yourself a break sometimes. Your brain needs to reset. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really good advice. It You can, you can get so 
caught up in in the words and the writing and what oh well i will say that one thing if you do because i'm i'm remembering now what you said about like the exact situation you're in because i was gonna say also sometimes watching other media can like help inspire you if you're stuck Mm -hmm. but you're not even talking about where you're stuck you're talking about where you know what's coming next for that bullet point your scenes just write like just write like one paragraph for each scene of like this is what's going to happen here like doesn't matter that you can't sit and write it out sometimes while you are sitting and doing that you will be like okay and I know a line of dialogue that I want to go here and so I'm going to do that Mm. Um, and then sometimes you'll end up writing more just because like once you have it down on paper you will if you don't that's fine just put down what's going to go in each scene and then when you get to the point where you have no choice but to write and it feels like pulling teeth you have the text there and you just expand it replace it with like the real stuff that's going there that I find tremendously helpful to bullet points or summarize each scene once you know what they're going to be. Even if you can't write it, that's like the perfect amount of writing um, for when you for when you can't do it. That's excellent advice. And I mean, especially in first draft, do you really need more than that in a first draft? <laughs> I am not, uh, I'm not usually, I. this was the first book I ever turned in that had like things that said more will go here. Nice. Or like had like a one line summary of like, here's what's going to happen in the rest of the scene, just because I was not going to make my deadline otherwise. Um, I am usually not a, I'm a, you know, I expand as I revise. I am a, I write short and then expand, Mm -hmm. but I am not the person to be like, write. I don't write draft zeros. I don't write something that like could literally not be turned in. There's nothing wrong with, that's obviously like a, you know, very valid style. It's just, that happens not to be what I do. I can't do it. That makes sense. Yeah. So this was such a departure for me, but honestly it was the best thing that I did for myself. Yeah. My brain just doesn't work like that or stay comfortable with it. I'm not good at the zero drafting either. Okay. Do you want to individually talk about all of your novels? Because I'm down for it. <laughs> Do you want me to individually <laughs> talk about all of my novels? I, I, I'm always here for it. I don't, I don't know what your time is like over there. So you have the biggest book list of any of the authors that I've actually brought onto the podcast before. Ah. <laughs> so in the, the last ones, I'm like talking about two or three other projects <laughs> before the one that, that's coming So out. you but... can, you can pick ones. <laughs> you can pick just you can choose which ones to ask me about. Okay. Well, one thing I wanted to ask you about as far as your books go is you do you write a lot of sports. What what kind of research do you have to do? Do you do you have any experience with this? Or is this like, a okay, I got to go learn football right now? Like- yeah, let the record show I'm done writing sports. Um, the funny thing is, like, I did play sports. I mean, I, I loved sports as a kid. I was on the volleyball team for one year of high school. I was sports staff in camp, which is, you know, what my story in Out of Our League is about. Oh, cool. The sports thing happened kind of by accident. And with sports, I don't know anything about. Um, so my first time doing it was Write a First Refusal, which is my second self-published new adult romance. And I didn't know when I wrote the first one, Last Will and Testament, that I was going to do three books. Like I was just writing that as a standalone. And so I chose to make Kate a uh, lacrosse player because I was like, oh, that's a fun sport I know nothing about. Like it was a throwaway detail. Like, oh, haha, lacrosse. And then I was like, when I realized I was going to give the other girls their own books, I was like, oh, God, what a terrible idea this was. (laughs) Now I need to go learn about lacrosse. (laughs) That is probably the thing I have single most researched other than my short story for um, the radical element. Um, I watched so much like college lacrosse. I read so much coverage of college lacrosse. <sighs> yeah. Lacrosse seems pretty complicated too. Cause I'm not, to be fair, I don't watch a ton of sports and everything, but it seems like one of them that it, 
that has a little bit more rules. It was complicated. I hope I did okay with it. Um, I've heard I did. I hope that's true. Um, but that was, and I didn't even have lacrosse playing friends to ask questions. Like that was oh my all just so much research. Thank God that was at a time in my life I had more time to research. Um, I mean, I was working full time, but like I didn't have kids and that's the hugest difference. Um, home field advantage is like, I really knew I wanted to do this plot and I was like, football. Okay. I don't know much about football. I feel like I know enough to just write this. And then like my husband knows football and he'll help me. Um, but my husband knows professional football, which is very different from high school football and no New York Jews have experience with high school football. None of us have football teams. We don't have cheerleading squads either. This was all new. So both of those required research. Um, but as much research as I did and as much help as he tried to give me, I was a disaster um, and fully 100% all like I wrote, you know, the action and whatever, but like everything right about football in home field advantage is due to Maggie Hall and Sarah Henning <laughs> by their books. They're wonderful, um, but they are both very, very, very knowledgeable about sports um, they both wrote fantastic stories for Out of Our League um, that I'm really excited for people to read. I love those stories deeply. Oh, cool. Um, but they absolutely went through and just like corrected, corrected, corrected. And I hate saying that because it feels like, I don't know, there's something weaselly feeling about it. Even though like that's what books are kind of supposed to be. They're like, you're allowed to write things you don't know. Yeah. But yeah, oh man, they did a lot of correction to that. But I thought... I had a lot more confidence in my ability to research, but like by then I wrote Home Field Advantage on maternity leave with my second kid. Like there was no research time. I mean, not that I did none, but like I did what I could and I, it's just not enough. I mean, high school football is like a religion. You have to mm -hmm. really know it. Um, what was great, especially with Sarah, is that Sarah has even worked, I think, as a sports reporter in that general area oh cool so she like even really specifically knew florida um i mean she's just a killer sports romance writer like it was so wonderful to have her looking at it and maggie's like my ride or die author friend for a billion years now she's done book covers for me she, and like yeah we've read all of each other's work um except going by coastal nobody's read going by coastal which is very weird for me well you could send it to me i mean i'll read it <laughs> There will be arcs soon. Like, I just Yay. turned in copy edits yesterday. So actually, there will be arcs soon, and then people will read it. But, um, but I am very, very grateful to them. I mean, there's a lot that I love about sports. I love the passion. I love the drive. I love the ambition of the characters who engage in it. They're so exciting. Yeah, I love the teamwork and the, you know, sisterhood or brotherhood or siblinghood or, you know, just mm -hmm. there's so much about it I think is great and makes a really great um, theme for fiction. And I love reading it, and I love writing it, but I don't know it. It is not my expertise. I think the dynamics I can do, but the technicalities I can't. And like, how many times am I going to have somebody else come in and clean up my sports knowledge, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, it's so interesting. I mean, every single sport you go to, they have a different name for all the different things. Like you have to learn the, the language. Training's usually different. And it's also like a lot of them have very different rules between high school, college, and pro. And so mm -hmm. football, you know, that's a, like whatever football I knew was pro football. Um, so that made, that was a really, really big difference. Um, and it's so funny because I know people like when you see football books, everyone's like, oh, you must love Friday Night Lights. I have never gotten past like episode three of Friday Night Lights. Frankly, it probably would have been helpful if I had. And nothing against the show. It's lit very darkly. And I have a hard time watching shows that are lit darkly. Oh. 
Okay. Yeah, and that's that alone is the reason I cannot get through it. Okay, so while we're talking about sports, you have another anthology that you're editing with Jennifer. I I'm probably gonna totally murder her last name. I Capelli. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of people do. Yeah. Um. Uh. In 2024. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. And okay, obviously you can't tell us all the details about that, but can you tell us some of the sports we can look forward to? Yes, I definitely can. Um so I did volleyball, but my like the sport the levels of like sports heaviness vary a lot, which I really like because I think that's people's experiences with sports. No, that's perfect. Um so yeah. mine is pretty light on volleyball, whereas you mentioned reading carries, which you know is very heavy on hockey. Mm-hmm. Jen did her story on baseball, which anybody who has heard her talk about a league of their own, um can guess exactly what she wrote. Nice. Um there is football, there is um rowing there is golf there is archery that's cool there mm-hmm. is boxing there is wrestling it's a really really fun collection of sports um and i really like the mix of individual sports and team sports um there's um wheelchair tennis oh cool there's i don't know why i'm drawing such a blank now but um I mean, that was a lot. And remind me again, how many stories are in this one? 16. This is actually the biggest anthology I've done. Oh, okay, cool. Well, these don't have the originals in the back either. So you have a little bit more (laughs) leeway on probably page count too, maybe. Page count isn't the issue. The problem when you're looking at numbers of contributors for anthologies is that the advance you get, you're going to split half. The traditional split for anthologies is half for the editor or editors um, and then half gets divided up evenly among the contributors. Okay. So let's say you get, you know, $20,000 for an anthology. 10000 is going to the editor, and then 10000 is getting divided up. If you have 10 contributors for an anthology for which you got $20,000, they each get $1,000. That's mm-hmm. a perfectly respectable anthology advance. If you have 20 contributors, they each get $500. Mm. And not everyone's going to write a short story for an anthology for $500. So that's something that you... Yeah, that you really have to take into account as you are coming up with your lineup. And that's also, I think some people are like, just take as many people as want to write for this. And it's like, you really can't because then you'll be paying no money. Yeah. I mean, page count isn't not a thing, but I haven't bumped up against it. I mean, page count will affect the price of a book. Okay, okay. Okay, let's back up because At Midnight comes out tomorrow (laughs) and it's so good. Okay, so... We, we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier, but um, do you want to give us another or a little bit more of a peek at some of the other fairy tales that we'll encounter? Yeah. Um, ugh, at Midnight's a really fun mix. Um, there are so many fairy tales. So like I get a little hung up on the ones that weren't included um, because like there are really popular ones that are not included. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I kind of wish I could do like a second volume. Um, but I think it is just such a cool collection. So it opens with, the Nutcracker, um, done by Anna Marie McLemore. And then like Fitcher's Bird, for example, is a lesser known one mm-hmm. done by Gita Trelise, which I that story is awesome. I mean, that is magical. I did Rumple Stiltskin, there is Snow White and Sleeping Beauty, um, and Cinderella. Because I, I really feel like if you're saying you're doing a fairy tale anthology, those like really have to be in there. And mm-hmm. there is Little Red Riding Hood. Um, where the hood is a hijab. I love that detail. Um, I thought that was awesome. Like, as soon as I saw that, I was like, ah, brilliant. Uh, I thought that was really cool. 
No, that's super. That's so perfect. Yeah, the Robert Bridegroom is is the one it ends on, just because it had the most perfect ending line for the whole collection. Nice. Um, Little Matchstick Girl. I loved that one. I loved the. That was really cool taking the historical from the fire at the opera house and then tying it into the fairy tale all together. I really loved that. That was really cool. So a really fun fact that um, makes me much less impressive. I did not know that that was based on a real historical event. And I looked it up while I was editing Stacy's story. And I was like, oh my God. I didn't either. <laughs> I had to have the note for the record. I, I had to have the note in the book that you included. So I asked her to add it. Um, because I thought it was such an interesting fact and I living in New York didn't know, yeah. <laughs> had no idea. Um, so I thought that was such an interesting note that I asked her to, to add it because I wanted people to know that. Um, that was very cool. I am obsessed with Stacey Lee's historical fiction. I just, yeah, there's no one doing it like her. I just think she's phenomenal at that. And I'm so happy she did a historical story. I liked her interpretation of that. That was so much less depressing. <laughs> it was very cool and that was one of my favorite fairy tales growing up so it was like really nice to have a version of that that i really love um there's the little mermaid there's i can only think of the the title now it's like the nightingale but i feel like i am messing up that title and it's actually longer what's the original oh my gosh hang on no i have to look it up oh it is the nightingale okay it is just the nightingale yeah it does seem like it should have a longer title though yeah because she has a longer title for the actual story which was my title oh okay yeah um yeah the nightingale is that all of them oh and then melissa albert has an original story in the collection which was very cool which is super cool yeah it's a great story and i love how it illustrates that like these are not things that have to stay relegated to the past like you can still make next generation fairy tales. Um, and she is, I mean, absolutely one of the masters of doing that. If you've read the Hazelwood or Tales from the Hinterland, I mean, I feel very, very lucky to have had her for that. Good person to pick for that. Yeah. Yeah. So she's one of the authors who works with Sarah Barley, who's the editor of the anthology. Okay. So, yeah. But so we, yeah, I mean, definitely discuss that and the idea of her doing, I, I didn't make her do an original one, but we did suggest we thought it would be cool. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because she also, she's also the editor for Stephanie Garber, oh. um, who does these like tremendously successful fairy tale books right now. But we were like, she's literally in the middle of doing this. Like, she's not going to also do a short story. Um, so I would love to work with Stephanie for something else. But for this, we were like, that's a little silly. Also, probably does not have time. But um, yeah, so now Sarah is like fully entrenched in fairy tale. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, you also have two standalone YAs that are just you, not anthologies, coming out. And they both look so so good. Okay. Uh, going by Coastal is first. It's, I think, June 13th, 2023 so far currently. Yes. Yes. Okay. Tell us about it. What can we look forward to? Like all the things. <laughs> going by Coastal was really fun to write because it's like pulled from a million things in my life and is also just the most low stakes, just fun book. Um, oh, yay. So it's a sliding doors YA, um, which for anybody not familiar, that just means, you know, like alternate timelines. Um, so it's about a bi Jewish girl named Natalia who lives in New York City and her parents have given her 24 hours to decide whether she's staying in Manhattan with her dad um, and spending her summer there or doing something radically different and spending the summer in L.A. with her mom as a marketing intern. And she and her mom are basically estranged. Um, so that would be a huge leap. 
Um, but she is very stuck right now. She's very much at a crossroads where she's about to be a senior. She kind of doesn't know what she wants to do with her life. She doesn't know where she wants to go to school. She doesn't, you know, her romantic prospects are so far just in her head. Um, she has a, you know, big crush on this girl, the redhead, uh, who she keeps bumping into around town, but has never had the courage to talk to. So she just has to decide which of those things she's going to do. And she can't decide, so we get to see both of them play out. So it alternates between what if she had stayed in New York with her dad and what if she had gone to L.A. with her mom. And in both storylines, there's a romance that I really deeply love. Oh, cool. Um, And there are friend groups that I really deeply love. And the New York timeline is very music-centric because the love interest, Ellie, is... um, an aspiring rock journalist, as I was when I was in high school. Oh, cool. Um, although Ellie, unlike me, actually does something with it. And <laughs> she, like, writes articles. But also her parents were in the industry. Um, and she's from a very big, you know, rock royalty family, rock media <laughs> family. So, you know, she's constantly going to concerts and writing about them. And she really pulls uh, Natalia into that world. And then uh, on the other coast... Um, the love interest is uh, Adam, who is her fellow marketing intern and who in the beginning sucks as a human, but they, <laughs> you know, sort of quickly grow to like each other. Like that would have been a fun thing to drag out a little more like enemies to lovers ish, but like you don't have that much time because each, you know, love story only gets only gets half a book. So I had to pull him out of that pretty quickly. Um, and that timeline is really food centric because he helps his brother on a taco truck. Um, and his whole, like all the friends there are different taco are different truck oper- food truck operators. Oh, cool. Um, and then the first friend she makes there is a barista. So it's like very foodie. So it alternates. I mean, they're both a little food. So the Jewish element is much bigger in Going by Coastal than it was in Cool for the Summer. Cool. Because um, Natalia is a little more observant. She keeps a level of kosher. She um, is very into Shabbat dinner. And so there are Shabbat dinners in both timelines. Um, so that was really fun and nice for me to be able to write and get in there because the response to Cool for the Summer was so nice. And I was like, I feel like I barely even put it on the page and people responded to it so well. It wasn't a ton, but it was so well done when it was in there. I did. I love the the Jewish rep in there. Thank you. So I just really wanted to like really push it out onto the page and, and make people feel as seen as possible. And I really, really hope that it does. So that was really fun. Um, and then, as I have mentioned a bunch of times, and I hope people like it, um, Laura and Jasmine appear repeatedly in Going by Coastal. No! Yes! Oh, that's so exciting. <laughs> they do in the in the New York timeline. Um, so I won't say anything about how or whatever, but, like, if you've been wondering, like, you know, how things ended up with them... Um, you'll find out. Oh, yay. I love them so much. I actually, I don't know if I told you this, but I, to prep for our interview and like have them fresh in my head, I just did an audiobook reread of uh, Cool for the Summer. And then I didn't do a reread of Homefield Advantage because I read that like a month ago. Fair. <laughs> but I just love the voices of it. And I don't know. They're just so great. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it was really, really fun to have them back. And actually, in Going by Coastal, the big difference is that um, Jasmine is more of the protagonist where she appears. Like, Laura, you you see a little more, you know, she's a little more off scene. Um, but this is um, Jasmine and Natalia interact a bunch. Oh, cool. Okay, cool. Yeah. I mean, Laura's there. There's There's no scenes she's not in. But, you know, that Jasmine is. Is that hard or fun? Like, I bet it's a little bit of both. But um, 
I mean, you spent the whole book of Cool for the Summer with Laura, and now she's a side character, and you're not in her head anymore. But you know her. Like, yeah. you get to know what she'd be like as a side character, too, and that's kind of fun. I love... So I... This is the most self-indulgent book I have ever written and probably will ever write. There are callbacks to other characters from other books, which I haven't mentioned, but oh, it's, cool. you know, they're, they're much smaller mentions, but I feel like they're fun surprises. But yeah, I feel like I know her. I know what she'd be like, you know, from an outside perspective and where she'd be. Um, no, I think getting to include your characters again, however you include them, is just the most fun. I would I would keep doing that, like, forever if I could. It does not make any sense for the book that I have next. But if I did future books, I would absolutely, yeah, I would absolutely include my old characters as much as I could now. Yes, I love that. Okay, you also have My Name is Everett, and that's 2024. Yeah. Okay. Go. <laughs> <sighs> so first of all, there's no way it's keeping that title. I know. But um, I wrote this book. This is the book that I first seriously queried with. So this was like 2009, 2010. Oh, okay. And then I, I guess it obviously didn't go anywhere at the time. And it shouldn't have. Did you dust it off? It was a mess. Did you, I guess you reworked it. So I haven't done it yet. That's that's what's next. That's what I'm working on now. Oh, okay. Um, but yes, so I will be reworking it. There's a very dark storyline in it that's coming out. Okay. Well, that's being reworked to be less dark. But it's the core of My Name is Everett is like what it means to be good and bad and a nice guy and a bad girl and all of it being, you know, kind of crap. Um, so... <laughs> But, you know, from a comp perspective, um, we sold it as Beach Read meets Foolish Hearts, which is like, it's it's set up boarding school. Um, so it's about a girl named Everett, who, Evie, who um, just really struggles with being in her sister's shadow and her sister kind of essentially ruining her life. And she's like, I got to go somewhere else um, and just be away from her for a while. So she begs her parents to go to boarding school and she does. And it's like a mess from the get go. And she just, like, kind of snaps and is tired of being the good girl. And she decides she wants to be more like her sister and see what it's like to actually get what you want. Um, and so she tries to be bad. And she meets this boy um, who goes by Salem, um, which is sort of like this joke nickname because his sister's a witch. Um, and her name is Sabrina. Ouch. Which, like... <laughs> Once upon a time was a very outdated joke. And then the show came back. And now, you know, I was like, oh, if I ever publish this, I probably have to redo their names. And now I'm like, nope, nope, I don't. Because everything old is new again. That's so funny. Um, And he, um, by the way, anything I say is subject to change. Because like, there's this has been through no one. Gotcha, so, <laughs> gotcha. Okay. I'm, I'm like telling you my plan. Um, There will be some editing. Um, And he is there for reasons you will find out. um, And he is trying to be good. So he helps her try to be bad and she helps him try to be good. That's so fun. Um, And they're each sort of, and they're, you know, kind of each help each other pursue their own romances. um, Only to discover the real romance all along is between them. Yeah. (laughs) Which like is a really big spoiler for the original version, but I guess is not a spoiler for the 2024 version. (laughs) Okay. Like, in the original one, I don't think it's clear that they were going to get together, but I maybe that's, like, part of the problem with it. It was very poorly paced. Yeah. Anyway, so that's, yeah. So I love them. They are probably my favorite, certainly in YA. 
Um, I think they might be my favorite couple that I have written. I just find their dynamic really fun. Yeah, it's sort of, if you've read my new adult books, like the closest to Lizzie and Connor. Not really. I don't know. Um, Yeah, I don't know who to really compare them to. Nobody. They're my first loves. So I I can't believe I get to do this, basically. So That I get to, like, try to bring them back. And I just hope that it works and that everybody loves how it comes out. That's been sitting for a long time, too. That's so awesome. Been sitting for a really long time. The writing is bad. The pacing is worse. (laughs) Um, so this is, this is an adventure, but I mean, you, I'm sure you've grown miles between 2000. What what did you say? Nine. And what, what year is it? Yeah, (laughs) no. And I've like already come up with new plot points that I am like obsessed with. Um, I just, you know, time is hard. I, I would love to not have this be another book I squeeze into like the 9 PM to midnight window every night, but it's just what it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. I know I'm very envious of people's writer retreats, but that is just not in the cards for me. Um, who was your favorite overall out of every character you've ever written? Who was your favorite character to write? <laughs> um, in YA or overall, overall? You can do both if you would like to do both or or overall, overall. Lizzie in Last Will and Testament was probably my favorite to write overall, overall. Okay. She's just like, she's a mess, but like my favorite kind of mess. Um, Lizzie and Connor as a pair, I just, I loved writing them so much. They are definitely the closest to me and my husband also of any pair I've written. Oh, cool. Which people who know me well have pointed out and I'm like, shut up. It's not, but it is. Um, (laughs) so, um, I love them. In YA, you know, I have a very, very, very soft spot for, well, all my characters really, but I made a much more, um conscious effort of not writing myself these last few books so there are elements of of me in Laura in Jasmine in Amber in Jack but they are very intentionally not me Mm -hmm. and I it's harder for me to feel as close to characters when I put that distance in like I specifically wrote characters who are cool who get attention who are super athletic who are hot who, like I'm like this was just not my high school experience so as much as I love them and I love writing them there is that distance that that they're at mm-hmm. um intentionally because I feel like you usually get the more wallflowerish, very internal um YA main characters and I very specifically didn't want that um for these characters which I think is also why Evie and Salem speak to me because they come back to feeling more like me um which isn't to say that, like, I don't love writing characters who are not like me, but it's a different kind of comfort zone. Yeah. But, like, don't get me wrong. I protect all of them with my life. Oh, yeah. And I love them very much. And I feel like I could write seven more books about any of them. But um, but it's a different experience writing characters who are very, very intentionally writing, unlike you. Um, and in, in situations in high school, you would never, ever have found yourself in, at least for me. So it puts this distance in that doesn't make me write love writing them quite as much as characters where I'm just like, eh, I'm just going to put myself in here. Yeah. Well, you have to, you have to really think when you're doing the the ones that are less like you too. <laughs> yeah. Because their, yeah, their responses don't necessarily always come naturally. And... One big thing is I didn't really want to write characters these last few books who were like deeply insecure. Mm-hmm. I wanted to write more secure and confident characters. Um, but that to me is just like, like that's that's not me um so I think that's the other little break there um so Natalia does feel a little bit more like me but that one just has so much going on with her all over the place I mean the whole book was super fun to write but there's you know 
also just like that's more her like running around all over the place doing fun things um than feeling like I got super close to her but I don't want to say these things and make it sound like I don't like love or care about or feel these characters or no, you no, know no. that was the nature of the question yeah we know you love all your characters immensely I mean you can't yeah. I don't think you can spend as much time as you do on a book and writing if you don't have some love there yeah maybe Reagan I think maybe my favorite was Reagan from Just Visiting, now that I think about it. Because truly, Allie from Behind the Scenes is the one who's the most like me, and I would not say she was my favorite to write because it was too much. Um, you know, other than that, she lands a hot Hollywood star as her boyfriend. Um, that was that was too much me. Um, Reagan is not like me, but she is a was a really... I really love writing The Balance of Tough and Vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Lizzie is that, and Reagan is that, and Evie is that. And I'm just realizing this now as I say it. So I think that is my favorite thing to write in a character. So um, in YA, yeah, maybe Reagan from Just Visiting. Okay, cool. Do you want to tell us where we can find you? Sure. If you go to DahliaAdler.com, which is my website, there's a blogging page and that links to all different places that I blog. So you can find my old posts on Barnes and Noble Teen blog, which, you know, is no longer operable. But Currently, actively, I run a site called LGBTQ Reads, which is curated um, queer book recommendations for all categories and genres. Um, And I blog most frequently for BuzzFeed books. Um, So you can find a link to my posts there as well. I blog about um, just uh, now I blog about pretty much anything I'm reading there, um, which is fun. But I also do like seasonal queer YA posts there, um, romance roundups, YA romance roundups. Um, so that's fun. And then I could not figure out how to link it to an icon on that page. But I also blog for um, Open Road Media sites, which are A Love So True is the romance one. And then Early Bird Books has my YA post. So I have a bunch there as well. Okay, cool. Um, I have one post at parents.com and one post at tour.com. But they're good posts. So check them out. Nice. <laughs> And then do you want to tell everyone where we can find you on social media? Yes, I am everywhere as at Miss Dalai Lama. And by everywhere, I really just mean Twitter and Instagram, but M-I-S-S-D-A-H-L-E-L-A-M-A. Um, I am on TikTok badly and embarrassingly at at Dahlia Adler because that's the only place where I could get my own name. It was already taken everywhere else, but I was very excited it was available there. Don't follow me on TikTok, though. Or follow me, but don't ever look at anything I do. Thank you. Um, No, mostly Twitter and Instagram, especially Twitter is like where I'm the most active. And if you're interested in LGBTQ reads, that's just at LGBTQ reads everywhere. And that's most active on Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr is where you can ask me for book recommendations anonymously if you need to. Yay! I think that's everywhere. I think so. (laughs) I will have links to socials and Dahlia's website as well on the show notes page for everybody. So thank you. Okay. I'm like watching my clock tick down. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. This was great. And it's so nice that you really like read my stuff and listened to my interviews. I really appreciate that. It's nice not to answer the same things over and over. <laughs> Seriously, I think I appreciate you so much for getting on with me and letting me chat. Thank you for having me. This was great. It was so fun. This was me talking a lot. I know, we really did. <laughs> but I will say, by the way, we didn't even end up making time for book recommendations. I know. I didn't realize it was the time was so. And I even wrote on a post-it so I wouldn't forget. Oh my God. Do you want it? Do you want to send me it? And I'll put some extras on the show notes. <laughs> it's okay. That's okay. My book recommendations are everywhere. Like if they're going to my blog. <laughs> post they're gonna see my book recommendations on buzzfeed anyway i literally have a note in here give her 30 minutes for book (laughs) (laughs) okay it's 11 uh hang up on me right now okay yes i do i am gonna go but thank you so much yes okay thank you 
Okay, friends, that's all for episode eight. I've got a content list and all the Dahlia links on my show notes page at www.sabrinalotby.com. Don't forget to rate and review and tell all your writing buddies. Thanks so much for joining us. Okay, Jenny, say goodbye. Nope.